I've got two hours worth of sermon material this morning. And I'm not preaching tonight. So, hey, why not, right? No. It's not going to work out quite like that, but that's okay. I hope you brought a Bible. If you did, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, some very familiar verses. But this morning, I'm going to spend my time kind of explaining to you why I do what I do the way I do it. And now, probably some of you have never given that any thought. You just kind of come to church, you do your thing, you go home, you haven't given any thought to it, you haven't given it any consideration, and probably some of you don't even realize what I do um, when I'm up here. Some of you really don't care one way or the other, though you ought to. So allow me to get to the point. When I come to stand behind this pulpit, or any pulpit that's real or imagined, I have an understanding that was ingrained in me from my childhood that I know y'all look up here, you can just see a chunk of wood, but this is God's sacred desk. It's not mine, it's his. And when I come to this pulpit, I don't come to tell you what I think or what I feel or what my opinions are, but rather to open up the word of God and share that with you to the very best of my ability. And a lot of people say, well, you know, preacher, you could probably get a bigger crowd and have a bigger building and and a lot bigger congregation if you'd just tell people the things that, you know, they want to hear. I might. But one day, I'm going to stand before the Lord God Almighty and I will give an accounting For what words I have spoken and shared from behind his sacred desk. So basically I'm telling you that to tell you this. Not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I can't bring myself to it. And the reason why is this book. And I want you to understand what this book is. I've had people tell me, well, preacher, you worship that book. No, I don't. But I worship the God who gave me this book. And, and I, I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, it's not a relevant word for today. Oh, contraire. On a morning like this, whenever the first thing that I saw, whenever I checked my phone to see what the weather was going to look like, was a flashing banner that said another mass shooting in Texas. I thought to myself, what an appropriate word. What an appropriate word. People say, well, it's not relevant. What's not relevant about thou shalt not kill? Thou shalt not commit murder. What's irrelevant about that? The reality is when we took this word and we tried to take it out of our culture and out of our society and push it to the side and quit teaching it in our schools and quit teaching it in our homes, everything started to go sideways in our culture. So here's the reality. I'm not going to turn loose of this book, and I'm not going to quit preaching it. And if that's what you're hoping for, forgive me, Lord, there's the door. Because I can't bring myself to do it. Because in this book is the secret to changing the world. In this book, you will find the story of the most amazing man who ever lived. 
And he has the ability to transform lives, to change hearts, to build homes, and to bring peace to people. His name is Jesus. He's the same guy who in the Gospel of John told Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's the same Jesus who a little further on in the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, said, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. If you want to know about him, if you want to know the difference he makes, if you want to be able to share him with others, here's the reality. You need to immerse yourself in this book, the Bible, God's holy infallible, inerrant, oh, and don't forget, inspired word. I believe the truth in this book has the ability to transform our world. That's why I preach it. That's why I will always preach it. And this morning, I want you to understand why, because I want you to see what God's word gives us, what it brings into our lives. If you've got your Bible, I want us to read some very familiar verses found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start our reading at verse 14. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young friend, a man who was a protege. He had called Timothy away from his home and and taken him on a missionary journey with him. And as they journeyed together and Timothy grew in faith and in the word, there came a point in time where Paul left Timothy to pastor a congregation. And now we find Paul later in his life in prison writing letters back to this young pastor and encouraging him to stay with the work and to be faithful to the word. In verse 14, Paul tells him, he says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy, from your childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture." Is God breathed. Now, I want to pause right there. I want you to notice the word all. Doesn't say some. Doesn't say the ones that you like or the ones that make you feel good about yourself or the ones that are comfortable. No, it says all scripture is God breathed. That means it's inspired. God has breathed his own life into these words. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning to bless the reading of your Word. I pray that as we spend these moments together, That you would speak to our hearts. That you would draw our attention to your word and thus draw our attention to you. Father, help us to embrace the gifts that are given to us. To receive the calling that is placed upon us. And to fulfill the mission 
with which we have been commissioned. And Father, take your word. Speak to our hearts. Teach us your truth and give us the courage to walk in it. In stillness, we stand before you, Father. Teach us. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I believe that sometimes it's so easy for us to forget that the book you hold in your hand, the book that I have here before me, has not always been easily accessible. In fact, there are still today in our world millions who do not have easy access to the Word of God. Do not take for granted what you hold in your hands, brothers and sisters. There are those who would willingly lay down their lives if they could lay a copy of that book in their hands and hand it into the lives of their family members. And today we come into this place and we sit comfortably. We hold that book. Tragically, some, this is the first time that book has been held or opened since last Sunday or the Sunday before. We need to understand that this is God's gift to us, his word, his message. And I I know people say, why do you make such a big deal about this? I do it because, folks, I want you to understand, when you hold that book, you are holding what God has given to us in his word. What does that even mean, preacher? Well, let's, let's think about it for just a little while together this morning, can we? I want to begin by simply making a statement to you. God's Word changes the direction of mankind. Now, I'm going to make a statement like that. A lot of folks say, okay, whatever. The tragedy is that so many people in the church today know so little of church history. And they have never gone through and done a study in which they tie together world history and church history and understand how those two have become intertwined over the last 21 centuries. But I want you to understand this morning that the Word of God changes thoughts and minds and lives. Whenever people become engaged with the Word of God, when they begin to read and they begin to memorize and they begin to meditate, they begin to understand that it changes them. And as it changes them, they begin to change the world in which they move and person by person circle by circle the world begins to change that's the reason that in so many countries today where persecution is prevalent those who are believers in Jesus Christ are charged with being revolutionaries because they are changing the world in which they live within their own little circle it's always been that way always now I could spend a long time right here giving you a treatise in church history. Not going to do it. But allow me three minutes. Peter Waldo. Peter Waldo translated the scriptures from Latin into the common vernacular of the French people. A group began to follow his teachings. They were called the Valdensians. They distributed scriptures across the nation and across the countryside. At the beginning of the 13th century, it led to a massive change in the way people understood the Word of God and understood the practice of Christianity in the nation of France. In the 14th century, 
John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English. He taught the Bible to his followers. By the way, they formed their own group called the Lollards. Christians are good at forming their own groups and getting their own names going, okay? In 1516, Erasmus. Erasmus translated the scriptures back to Greek. And there was a Greek scholar who was also a priest in Germany who got a hold of that. And he began to look at that and to study that Greek text. And the very next year, that scholar named Martin Luther in 1517 nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, setting off the Protestant Reformation. The people who followed him, they called themselves protesters. That's what Protestant means. Out of the movement of the Protestants, the protesters, came another group called Anabaptists. Imagine it. That word Baptist just had to creep in there somewhere, didn't it? Can I just tell you something? Anabaptists were born the Protestant Reformation started by Martin Luther. Martin Luther himself condemned the Anabaptists even though they used his New Testament in Greek and claimed that the Bible alone was authoritative for life and practice and that it was Scripture alone that taught the way of salvation. Here's a simple factual statement. The spiritual movement of revival among the Anabaptists outreformed all the other reformers. And these people whose lives were changed by the power of the Word of God became the foundation for two centuries later the lay renewal movement that began among the Wesleys and spread across the Atlantic into the United States and led to the revival movement of the 18th and 19th centuries that brought about the form of Christianity that you and I basically know. Say, preacher, I didn't get any of that. Okay, for the last 600 years, the Word of God has been changing our culture and changing Christianity and changing the way we understand because people are growing in their knowledge and wisdom in regard to the Word of God. Short story, here it is. God's Word has shaped the world as we know it and live in it. Okay? That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. And it's not just people like me. I'm nobody. Here's the reality. A hundred years from now, probably nobody's going to remember my name. I'm okay with that as long as Jesus calls my name. That's all I care about. But in my parents' home, I was cleaning their house out not too long ago, going through some of the stuff, and I brought some stuff home, some stuff I had to let go because, well, I just don't have that much space. But upstairs in mom and dad's library, which wasn't much, I found a copy of Hallie's handbook. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a few years, you understand what Hallie's handbook is, right? It was a simple little study book that was made available decades ago. And it has been in Christian homes for the longest time. And it, it, it helps Bible learners to understand the Word of God. And it, it explains things. It defines things. It gives so much information that anyone who was a good Sunday school teacher had to have a copy of Hallie's. That's the reason it wound up in mom and dad's library. Here's what I learned from it as a kid because, well, their library was in what was my bedroom. And so a lot of nights when I was supposed to be asleep and I couldn't sleep, I laid in my bed reading books that were over there on that bookshelf. There were a lot of folks who shaped the world we live in who have been touched by the Word of God. In that handbook, 
there's a list of testimonials of people, names that we're familiar with, politicians, like America, one of America's founding fathers, John Quincy Adams, he, he wrote, and it's included in there, I, I've made it my practice for many years to read through the Bible once every year. Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, he's credited with writing, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to men. Writers. I have several volumes of Dickens that I possess. Charles Dickens. He, he said that the New Testament is the very best book that ever was or ever will be known in the world. Daniel Webster, a lot of folks think of him as a politician, but he's also a great writer in his own. Gave us Webster's Dictionary. Daniel Webster said, if there's anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the Scriptures. These are world changers, folks. These are people who shaped our world. Scientist, discoverer, writer, Sir Isaac Newton said of God's Word, there are more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Whenever people get into the Word, it gets into them. God's world is changed by God's word. People have told me before, it can't be God's word. Why is that? If it was God's word, you wouldn't have to defend it. I don't have to defend it. I do not have to defend God's word. In fact, I'm going to tell you today, God's word speaks for itself. And if you're a note taker, a page turner, this is where you need to get limbered up and get ready because we're fixing to take off. Are you ready? God's word speaks for itself. The apostle Paul was writing to Timothy and he says all scripture is God breathed. Not part of it, not some of it, not what you like, not what makes you feel good. All of it is God breathed. And that aligns perfectly with what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.21 where he says prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Listen, if man was writing the word of God, it wouldn't read like it does. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. No, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now we're back to how is it inspired? The Holy Spirit of God speaks through these men who have written the Word of God. And because it is inspired, because it is God-breathed, it always has been, it is today, and it always will be useful. What did Paul tell Timothy? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is not just a New Testament thing, folks. I hope you understand that. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his children, the children of Israel. And he was giving them law. He was giving them statutes. He was telling them how to live. He was, he was giving them all manner of instruction. And when you get to Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, he's talking about his word, his precepts. And he says, teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. That ought to be the center of our families. That ought to be the center of our lives. I know there are all manner of fun things we get to do, but there's nothing that is more important than teaching the Word of God to those who are in our family circle. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul writes to his brothers and sisters who lived in Rome. 
And he told them in Romans 15.4, everything that was written in the past. Did you get that word? Everything. That's kind of like that word all. You know, it's kind of inclusive. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, God's word is speaking for itself. Defending its existence, defending its place in our homes, in our families, in our lives. If we allow the word of God to rebuke us and to correct us, do you know what that means? We are acknowledging that there is a divine moral standard. There is right and wrong. And they are not changeable. They are not relative. They don't move. They are a target to be aimed for. And they are always constant. We begin to to become aware of that. How does that happen? Well, we start to sense conviction or guilt over thoughts or words or attitudes or actions. And we have to decide at that point, am I going to surrender to this or am I going to fight this? And if we fight it, we just make ourselves miserable because we go deeper and deeper and farther and farther. But if we surrender to it, then what we are saying is, I do believe that the Word of God is inspired. I believe this is His standard. It is righteousness. And I'm going to live my life according to it. If we do so, God's Word corrects us, as Paul said, and brings our lives into conformity with the person of Jesus Christ and God's righteousness standard for us. Now, I just want to ask you a question. If that were happening all over the place, don't you think that would change the world we live in? Man, I do. I'm telling you now, we wouldn't be reading about mass shootings. We wouldn't be reading about the conflicts that are happening all across our world. No, not if people were living their lives according to God's moral standard. But there's more to it than that. I want you to understand that God's Word, the Word you've got, have y'all got a Bible with you? Show me a Bible. Do you realize that what you're holding up and showing me right now contains God's message of hope and life? And it contains living, eternal power. I don't understand it. I'm just so grateful that it is. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews, he he was writing this letter. He said to those folks who were reading that letter, the word of God is living and act, not dead. Uh, listen, we got all kinds of dead books out there. This book is living. He said it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates. Oh, this is a good news, right? Yeah, he's going to stab us. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How can it judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart? Because it is righteous. It is holy. That's how, that's why. God spoke and has been speaking forever. Listen, this isn't a new thing. This is an old thing. He spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, is my word not like fire? And like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? He said, look, we can do this the hard way. We can do this the easy way. You can either abide by my word or I can smash it with it. It's that simple. It really is. People say, well, you know, it's, it's a new concept. This, this whole church thing is, no. The church is simply the manifestation, the physical manifestation of what God began doing in the Old Testament. 
He was in the business of trying to redeem mankind back to himself, but mankind couldn't get it right. And so ultimately, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior. The church is established by Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. I want you to know something this morning. This church is not mine. Got a newsflash for you. It's not yours. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. If it's not his church, it's not church. It may be a social club. It may be a family gathering. It may be any of a multitude of things. But if it's not his, it is not the church. I sidestepped here. Sorry. Let's get back on track, can we? We're talking about the word. I can go off on the church too, but that's not what I'm here for. So let's bring it back. My whole point is this. The word of God, it's what gives birth to the church. It's what gives birth to us. It's been doing it for centuries. Why? Because this living word is eternal. It's eternal. It's not something new. People say, well, I got a new Bible. Yeah, you did, but you got a copy of an old book. It's eternal. Say, well, what do you mean it's eternal? The psalmist said in Psalm 118, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. I'm not sure I understand that, preacher. What does that mean? Well, the prophet Isaiah made it really plain. He said the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the words of our God, they stand forever. He'll say, well, you know, that's old stuff. I don't really believe that. Okay, well, let's talk about Jesus Christ himself. Our Lord, the one we are here because of today. What did he say in Matthew 24? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Well, well, that's different. He said his words. Oh, by the way, he's God in flesh. So when he says his words, he says God's words will never pass away. And Peter, who probably heard Jesus say that, turns around Decades later, as an elder statesman of the church, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, says the word of the Lord stands forever. It is unchanging. It is not going to pass. Now, you say, okay, you've made a whole lot out of nothing. Let's finish. We're going to make something now. You ready to make something? Okay. I told you this whole thing is about what God has given us. He changes the world we live in. And the word, it speaks for itself. But here's the most important thing I'm going to tell you this morning. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here it is. God's word gives life. God's word gives life. And I know a lot of folks say, preacher, the life you're living isn't worth having. I'm just going to tell you something. You're as wrong as you could possibly be. Because the life I'm living has got me on a dead sprint to an eternal glory in the presence of Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. And I can't wait to get there. You see, life is found in Jesus and God's word is all about Jesus. If you haven't figured it out, we spent how many Sundays a year and a half ago and this year, preaching through the book of Daniel. Every time I opened the book of Daniel, I found myself looking at Jesus. He's all through Scripture, beginning at Genesis 3.15, moving forward. 
There he is, a coming redeemer, a promised Messiah, the light of the world, the light that's going to shine in darkness over and over and over. We meet him, we find him. And in John 5, 24, Jesus shows up and he tells the people who are there before him, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Get that last line. He has crossed over from death to life. I love the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has so many references to life, to new birth. People want to know, why is that such a heavy emphasis in the Gospel of John? You don't have to ask me. You can ask John himself. Because he drew to the end of his Gospel record. John included an explanation In verses 30 and 31 of John 20, he said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I chose these. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Get this. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Life. It was the knowledge of what Jesus had done. It was the knowledge of what the apostles had witnessed. It was the knowledge of everything that that God had been up to through these, plus his personal experience on the road to Damascus that let Paul, with all kinds of conviction, write the words that he did to the Romans when he said in, in his letter, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. I love that. Did you get that word, everyone? What's the word everyone mean? Everyone. For the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jews, then for the Gentile. Folks, we, as God's people in the 21st century, are invited, commanded, called, to share this same gospel and invite others to find this life in Christ. The power of evangelism is not found in the evangel. It is not found in the messenger. It is not found in the spokesman. We can stutter. We can stammer. We can misquote. We can fall all over ourselves. It doesn't matter because the power is not in us. The power is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just announcers proclaiming a message that has already been given. All we are doing is laying it out there so the Spirit of God can take our efforts, whatever they are, good or bad, and apply them to hearts that are ready to hear. As Jesus Christ preached in the Gospels, he appealed to and quoted over and over and over Old Testament Scriptures. Do you know why? Okay, then I'll tell you. He did it because those Old Testament scriptures are the Word of God. You see, the Old Testament is the Word of God just as much as the New Testament is. It was the Word of God. Not only that, it was the only thing they had. And those folks that he was preaching to, they were familiar with those Old Testament passages that he quoted from the prophets and the Psalms. They would, if he said something different, they didn't understand that. But when he started quoting the Word of God, they knew that. 
the men who followed after Jesus in the early church, Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, John Mark, Silas, all of these men that we find recorded in the book of Acts who became the great preachers of the word, missionaries, town to town, city to city, nation to nation. As they were preaching, you read through what's recorded in the book of Acts and you find them over and over again referring to and quoting from Old Testament. Why? Because that was scripture. That was God's word. That was all that they had to work with. We have been blessed with a New Testament with the letters that have been given to us and put together here so that we now have this word. Listen, it's simple. No matter what you use, whether it's your personal testimony, whether it's a gospel tract, which by the way we've got on the table outside, whether it's a horseshoe, which by the way you can get involved with next weekend at the state fair, whatever it is that you might use, understand this, eventually, finally, ultimately, it must always lead back to the Word of God. Now, some of y'all are about to relate to what I'm fixing to say. Some of you are going to say, who? I grew up on the preaching of Billy Graham. Uh Uh-huh, I hear you. Watched him on TV. Sometimes had to listen to him on the radio. I thought my world had virtually come to an end when they started putting his sermons on cassettes and eight tracks, and my dad played them incessantly on road trips. I look back now, and I realize he was hoping something would get through this hard head. I grew up on the preaching of Billy Graham. Some of y'all are nodding your head. You remember listening to Billy Graham preach. You remember maybe seeing him in person. As I grew older and as I started into the ministry, I began to study Billy Graham. I, you know, I wonder, what makes this guy so effective? And I began to study him, and I began to read manuscripts of his sermons. I began to listen to tapes and watch videos. And, and you know, I'm going to just tell you a couple of things. Number one, his sermons were always so simple, anybody could get it. I don't care if you had any history of of Scripture or whether you'd never heard God's name before. It didn't matter. It was so simple that anybody could get it. The second thing I'm going to tell you is this. He always, always, always gave an invitation. After the word of God was open, people were invited to respond to it. That's huge. Let me tell you the third thing. The thing that really applies to what I'm talking about this morning. Do you know what the most frequently used phrase to come through Billy Graham's lips was? Across the course of his ministry, years of preaching to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people across the globe. The most frequently used phrase that you will find in Billy Graham's sermons is this. The Bible says. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. You need to understand something. Billy Graham realized it wasn't about Billy Graham. It wasn't about his evangelistic organization. It wasn't about the people who were there months before preparing and training and taking care of all the details. It was about the Word of God. The Bible says. 
That's the reason why I do what I do the way I do it. That's the reason why every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening when you come in here and I stand up behind this pulpit, I'm not going to stand here and tell you my opinions or my thoughts, but I am going to open the Word of God and we are going to hear the most amazing thing because here are the most important words in Scripture. Students, y'all ought to know this if you went to camp this year. Thus saith the Lord. That's it. What God says is the most important thing we will ever hear. And that's the reason I can stand here this morning and I can tell you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Friends, when I stand here, I'm not going to stand here with my thoughts and words, my stories, my personality, my powers of persuasion, my salesmanship. I'm not going to bring any of that stuff behind this desk because I will not degrade it in that way. I will trust in the power of the Word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit of God through the written and spoken Word. Do you know why? Because my opinion is not adequate. My personality is certainly lacking. My salesmanship is not that good. But what God does gives life. I look around the world in which I live and I want you to, I want you to realize what I've come to realize. All right? And so I'm just going to tell you what it is. The prescription for the illness that plagues mankind. The fix for the disease that is destroying the soul of humanity is found right here. It's found right here. And it doesn't matter if you're speaking to one person, 10 people, or 10,000 people. The source of hope, the source of life, is found in Jesus Christ. And if you want to be able to talk about Jesus, the record of his coming, his living, his serving, his dying, his burial, his resurrection, it's all found in this book. This book has survived more criticism than any other book in mankind's history. It has been burned People have tried to discredit it, to destroy it, to stop it, to throw it away, and to end it. And it cannot be stopped. And do you know why? Because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So what's the big deal? The big deal is, my friends, it is time. It is time for the church to stand and proclaim we're here. It is time for the church to stand up and say we know what makes a difference. 
It's time for the church to engage in the conversation and say, look, you can do all the legislation you want, but if you want to stop what's wrong in our country, if you want to fix what's broken in our nation, if you want to correct what is askew in our culture, the answer is not in passing laws and it is not in saying we can do better. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. And the answer is found when we come to the place where we are going to share the gospel and allow that gospel to change hearts, to change lives, and to transform men and women and boys and girls. Don't you think it's time we quit talking about it and start doing it? Well, Preacher, why on earth would you go off on us like this this morning? We're the faithful. We came on a holiday weekend. Because it's Labor Day weekend. And it's time to go to work, church. It's time to go to work. You might be like Isaiah. You might be asking God, how long? How long? Well, then I'll just let you remember an old hymn we used to sing. We'll work till Jesus comes. And then be gathered home. Let's bow our heads together. My friend, the Word of God is where we find the source of hope and life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't have any hope. And this whole life thing you're talking about, I don't get it. So let me make it as plain as I can. God loves you. God loves you. And it's not his plan for any to perish, but for all to come to everlasting life. And so God in his great love, he, he demonstrated it to us. He sent his son. And Jesus, when he had lived a perfect, sinless life, Jesus laid down his life to pay for my sin and yours. When he took my sin upon him, that meant that I became sinless in his sight. Am I perfect? Nope. But his grace is sufficient to cover every sin, to meet every need. If you want to know whether or not God loves you, I just want you to hear what I'm about to say. God demonstrated his love for you in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does he ask? He asks us to confess and to turn from our sin, to follow him. It's called repentance. It's a turning from sin to him. And maybe you need to do that. Maybe today, for the first time, you sense in your heart, you sense in your spirit, I need that. I need to do that. I need that relationship. I need that life. You can have it today. Not sure what to do? In a moment, when we stand and begin saying, come take me by the hand. I will not embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to share with you from the Word of God how today you can become a child of God. Brothers and sisters, don't you think it's time to do something? I'm not asking you to do anything that God's not asking you to do. 
But maybe you can just revolutionize the circle where you live. Your home, your workplace, your classroom, your school, your neighborhood. How can God work through you to get that done? It begins by surrendering to him and saying, whatever you ask, I'll do it. I'm available. I'm ready. Would you do that? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. It's powerful. It's living. Lord, it is sharp. It cuts. It it points out every wrong, every sin, every wicked thought, every wrong attitude. Your word points it out. That's where the conviction comes from. Father, I thank you for it because out of that conviction comes brokenness and out of that brokenness comes healing. Lord God, I believe today that there are those in this room who need that healing. So I ask you, Father, in this room, break hearts. Pierce us, Father, with the truth of your word. If there's someone here who doesn't know you today, your spirit is speaking to them, drawing them, calling them. They're they're saying, I'm not sure what this is all about, but I need this this change he's talking about. Father, you draw them. And I pray, Father, that this would be the day when presented with the truth of your word that a heart could be changed. Father, I pray for all of us in this room. Call us to the work. Help us, Father, to immerse ourselves in the Word so that we will know what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, that your Word would just flow in us and through us and out of us to touch others around us. Father, may it be so. Have your way, Father. Do in each of our lives that which bring glory and honor to you. This is my prayer, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.